It's the seventh day of Hanukkah, and I'm talking to you from Tucson, Arizona. Uh, we have some catching up to do. I'm going to uh, learn a piece of Gemara from uh, Daf Chafbez, which is yesterday's Daf, uh, and and a, a little bit from Daf Chafalif as well. Um, and dedicating this shir in the honor of my mother, whose 26th year site it is today. Um, she was Malia Baras Malia Bastrab David Halevi, uh, and um, while it was certainly my father who taught me. Uh, Torah and taught, taught us, all of our, my siblings, Torah and put us on the Torah path, gave us a Torah perspective um, and, and some of the foundational approaches and methodologies that, that I use, of course, until this day uh, and, and hear his voice and hear his teaching in, in my ears and in my mind every single day. Uh, yet it was certainly my mother who participated um, by strongly supporting our going to yeshiva as young children, leaving home at an early age and, and studying overseas in yeshiva uh, that my mother takes the credit for that as well as providing a warm and loving home uh, in which we grew up and in which our Torah could flourish. Uh, the uh, Gemara that we're talking about today is, is an amazing story because this part of the Gemara, the, the Masech Tatanis, these last few, few daf and the next couple of daf, the matmonim are lying on the surface. Matmonim really means a hidden treasure. And as you've seen in the pages of Gemara and Talmud up till now, we've had to dig quite deep to extract the principles and to find the gold and the, poly and the diamonds and to uh, polish them and to, to, to make them beautiful. Uh, but at the moment, in these pages of the Talmud, it's not necessary to do that. The gold and precious stones are strewn across the surface. One simply has to notice them, pick them up, and, and look at them and reflect on them and understand them. And in these particular pages, there's a, a strong um, a, a section, a, a sub-theme, that gives us a foundation in how the Torah views the way people earn a living, the importance of earning a living uh, in, in a higher sense and what that's really about. We have the story on Dav Bez of Rav Broke Chozar, Rav Broke from the town of, of Chozar, um, who used to spend a lot of time in the marketplace. So he probably too was involved in business. The marketplace of the Ve'lefet. And often Eliyahu Hanavi um, Elijah the prophet would, would meet him there. So that already causes us to stop in our tracks a little bit. Where would one expect to meet Elijah? Where would one expect to, to meet Eliyahu? Eliyahu was a, a, a being who, who, who didn't completely die when, when his life was over. His spirit remains alive, remains with us. And there have been people throughout the ages until the present day who are able to access Eliyahu and to, to get into, into conversation with him. And one such person was Rav Brocker. And here we have this, this event documented. It's one of the most amazing things about Gomorrah, that not only are we engaging in, in hundreds of years of conversation that took place in the academies of Babylon between about the year 200 and 600, and then all the perushim, everything that we've got subsequently, the conversations that have taken place, place right through the medieval period and, 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 and right into, the, into modern times, and everything is documented. But here we have a case of, of, of Rav Broker walking in the marketplace uh, of Beilefet of Be and encountering Eliyahu Navi. And what did they talk about? Um, and he said to him, he asked him, Ika Baha'i Shuka Bar Alma Da'ati. I'm interested, Eliyahu Navi, he says to him, are there people in this marketplace? I mean, think about it as a, as a modern marketplace, a, a stock exchange, for example. Imagine Rav Broca in the stock exchange in Wall Street, meets Eliyahu Navi in the stock exchange and says, I'm interested, Eliyahu, can you tell me, are there any people in this environment here 
that have worked on themselves sufficiently from a spiritual perspective, that have journeyed with their soul to such a degree that when they die, their spirits will live on, their soul will live on, and they will be part of Olam Haba. Do you find that in this environment? Or would you only find that in the yeshivas and in the Batei Medrash, where people dedicate their lives to Torah? Um, and he says to him, um, he says to him, no, actually, there aren't. As it happens, little time passed, and a man walked past who wasn't dressed in a Jewish way at all. He was wearing red shoes. He didn't have to sit on. He just he didn't look like a Jewish person at all. Um, and Eliyahu said, Hi, Bar This particular man who's just walked past, the man with the red shoes, he actually is a person who has journeyed so far and so deeply with, with his soul, has done so much good that he does merit the world to come and will live in the world to come. Rav Broca is fascinated and Rahat Batre. He runs after this person to understand, to find out what this is about. And he asks him a question, which is important to notice. He doesn't say to him, what have you done to deserve Olam Haba? He doesn't say to him, what mitzvahs are you meticulous about? How many blood of Gomorrah? How many pages of Talmud have you studied? He doesn't say that. How much philanthropy have you given? He doesn't say that. My uvdech, what is your job? What is your career? What do you earn a living from? Rav Broca understands and teaches us here, before we even go further in the story, that there is an assumption that if a person, who, who an ordinary person who, who has, has a job or is involved in business and has accomplished a whole lot of spiritual accomplishment, Rav Broca's assumption is that comes through his profession. It doesn't come from the few minutes a day he might spend at a shiur or the few minutes a day he spends doing a mitzvah. It comes from the bulk of his day when he's doing his work. That's where the opportunity exists for a person to develop olam haba. Of course one can find olam haba and one can achieve great spiritual heights through one's learning and through the Torah and mitzvot that one does. But the chidush, the innovation here is it doesn't have to be that way. There are some people whose mission it is to work. Uh, in a profession, in business. And there it is possible to do that. And he says, my Uvdech, what do you do? And the person goes on to explain that he's actually a prison warden. And that, that some, and he tells some of the things that he does. For example, he keeps the men and the women in the prison separately and guards over them. And he puts his own bed between the men and the women to make sure that the women aren't abused and that they're not in, in any way violated. And he protects them. And when there was a case of an attempt to violate a woman, he steps in and he intervenes and, and cleverly makes sure that that doesn't happen. Not to be violated by the prison guards and not to be violated by the male prisoners. That's what he does. And so we see here, it's, it's not the, uh, the regular mitzvot that the person does. He doesn't seem to be a particularly religious person, certainly not on the outside. And it's not just from the fact that of his work that he is a prison warden, that warden. That's not going to do it. It's the fact that he does his work with a measure of sanctity, that he brings kedusha, that he brings sanctity into his work, and does his work in a very unique way. And through his work, he's able to protect the dignity of people, and he's able to elevate the dignity of people. That's why he was able to achieve so much spiritually and to become worthy of, um, of the Olam Haba, of the, of the world to come. Uh, and it's interesting, the uh, Eliyahu goes on just a few minutes later, two brothers walk in. 
And he says to, to, to Rav Broca, this, these two brothers, they're also B'nai Olam Haba. And he went to them, and once again, he says to them, what is your job? What do you work at? What is your profession? And they said, we're entertainers. And we entertain people who are sad and depressed. And we uplift them, and we, and we bring them joy. We're comedians. We tell jokes. And also when we see two people who have had an argument where there's a lot of conflict, we have a part of our business that's dedicated to conflict resolution where we use our talents of comedy to enable people to see the comedy of their conflict and, and to be able to take a step back and, and laugh at what they're getting all so upset about. And that way we're able to resolve conflict. Once again, these two entertainers are able to bring dignity into the world, are able to use their talent and their uh, and their skills and their profession to elevate people, to uplift people, uh, to heal people who are sad and dejected and depressed, and to resolve the conflict between people who are in a situation of, of high tension. And so we see the value of a person's work as a tool of spiritual development. It's not just that by working one attains spiritual development, that's not enough. It's by the sanctity and the dignity that one brings to humanity through the way one engages in one's work. Whether one is a physician or one is a business person or a lawyer or a teacher or a nurse, it, or, it, it doesn't make a difference. Through one's profession, one is able to get to those levels of, of spiritual accomplishment. And it links, in a sense, to the Gemara that we had it on Dachafala Famud Bet, just a page before, we were introduced to a character by the name of Abba Umna, Abba the doctor. Uh, and we're told that Abba Umna was able to intuit a greeting from Hashem, from Shemayim, from heaven, every single day. Uh, this is not so unusual, says the Gemara. Others were also able to intuit that greeting from heaven. Abaya could do it, but only once a week before Shabbos. And Rava could do it only once a year before Yom Kippur. So there were these different people who were able to feel the power of a greeting from Shemayim, an amazing sense of connection. But Abba Umna got it every single day, whereas Abaya got it only once a, once a week, and Rava got it only once a, once a year. And Abaya actually gets upset, he gets depressed about this. And because he says, why am I only experiencing this once a week? And Abba Umna, who is a physician, this Dr. Abba, is getting this experience every single day. And they said to him in the Vesa Medrash, You can't be Abba Umna. Don't try and achieve spiritual heights using somebody else's root, using somebody else's tools. Abba Umna has to be a physician. That's what he was designed for. That's what he was put in this world for. You have to be the head of the yeshiva. You have to lead the, the, the community in Torah. That's what you're here for. And you can't do what Abba Umna does. And the Gemara then goes on to show how Abba Umna, in his medical practice, took enormous care about the dignity of his patients, whether it was about their commercial dignity. If they were poor, he made sure that not only didn't they pay, but nobody, including he, could possibly know whether or not they had paid, so that there was no indignity in being unable to pay for his medical services. And other acts of, of great sneerut where he protected the dignity, particularly of women, you know, while he was attending to them, so that in no way would they feel exposed and vulnerable and in any way taken advantage of.
And so here again we see Abba Umna, a professional, a doctor, introducing sanctity into the way he practices his medicine. That is what gives him this ability to communicate directly with Shamayim, to communicate directly with Hashem, and to be able to be greeted by Hashem every single day. Uh, and it goes back again on the uh, a page earlier on Dafchaf Aleph Amud Aleph. We have the story of Ilfa and Rabbi Yochanan. Ilfa, we don't know an, an enormous amount about Ilfa, whereas Rabbi Yochanan is a very, very familiar personality in the in the pages of the Gemara. And in fact, Ilfa was a greater Talmud Chacham than Rabbi Yochanan. And the Gemara tells us that Ilfa and Rabbi Yochanan were both studying Torah, but they they economic condition was, was was very dire. They were incredibly poor. And they decided to go out and do a little bit of business and make a bit of money. Based on the posuk in Dvorim of Efes Kiloye Vecha Evyon, which Rashi explains that they learned as the promise from the Torah is, it, it's not a promise, it, it's an instruction. There should not be amongst you a poor person. And that doesn't mean that there will never be poor people. We know from, from, from a fact that that's not so. And we also know it from the very next posuk in the Torah, uh, where it says, There will always be poor people in, in your communities. So what does mean? Rashi explains, is in the singular. That means be careful that you don't become poor. So you take measures to make sure that you're earning some money, that you're not a charity case. And based on that posuk, they decided to go and, and make, make a little bit of money before they continued studying. And Gomorrah goes on, there's an event where they're uh, sitting at, uh, next to a building which is about to topple over, and they hear Rabbi Yochanan, hears uh, angels talking to one another, uh, and he deduces from that conversation that he should go back and learn, he should give up the idea of, of, of making some money. It doesn't matter that there'll be poverty and that he'll live in poverty. It's important for him to go and learn and teach Torah. And, he, and so he goes back. Ilfa continues to go into business. Later on comes back. And they say to, to Ilfa, had you also turned back, you would have become the Rosh Hashiva. You would have become the head of academy, not Rabbi Yochanan. And he demonstrates that he knows, still knows more Torah than Rabbi Yochanan, that even though he's been working in business, that hasn't, he hasn't allowed that in any way to diminish his commitment to the study of Torah, to the knowledge of Torah, to the learning and teaching of Torah. So here again we see Ilfa, yes, he was a businessman, but he was a businessman, he was a Talmud Chacham, he was a wise scholar of Torah in everything he did. He brought the Torah into it and he used his business as a way to communicate that Torah and to teach that Torah. Uh, and again, to see that Rabbi, the right thing for Rabbi Yochanan was to go back and study and teach. The right thing for Ilfa was to use the time to, uh, for, for the purposes of business. And I remember that when I um, was about to leave the yeshiva and to, uh, to start studying um, and possibly going into a, a, another career, and, and talking to my yeshiva, Rebellion Mishkovsky, who used to discourage people from learning, from leaving the yeshiva too early, he was very worried that they would leave before they were fully developed. And I remember saying to him that I was worried that if I leave Yeshiva at this time, I'm going to have far less time for learning. And I don't know that I'm ready for that. And he said that he, he knows me. And, and he said, you will find that in the half of the amount of time that you have for learning, because you're engaged in the world in the various different ways you're going to be engaged in the world, you will be even more innovative in, those, in that half-time than you would have been had you had your whole day available to study Torah. It just depends on the individuals. 
There are people who need to be studying Torah the whole day. There are people who need to be in business the whole day or in professions the whole day, dedicating small amounts of time to the study of Torah. Some people need half of their time in one and half of the other. Some people need to be physicians, some in business, some lawyers. Each person has to find out where they have the opportunity to make the biggest impact, to be the biggest Kiddush Hashem, to bring sanctity in the world through what they're doing. Whether what they're doing is the learning and the, the, the teaching of Torah, or what they're doing is business or professions, in whatever it is that we're doing, what's important is that we can introduce more sanctity into the world, more Kedusha into the world, and in that way develop our own neshamot, our own souls, to the point where we're all able to be zocher, we're able to merit and be privileged to a life after, afterwards, that when our body is no longer in this world, our spirit is so well developed that it continues to, to live.